If you have your Bible, open with us to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 14. We'll read some scripture that we read already this morning, and then uh, we'll share with you what the Lord has given us from His Word. Let's pray. Precious Father, once again, we've come together around your your throne together around uh, your throne to worship you mm -hmm. and together around your word to learn from you. Amen. And we ask you, Lord, to speak to us tonight yes. through your word. Yes. Let us be carried away back in our minds, in our hearts to that scene where the great judge of the universe was subjected to the judgment of men. Mm. And who faithfully, though he didn't have to, faithfully, because he loved his people, endured the judgment, endured the mockery, and then later endured the cross for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, all right. We will begin our reading uh, let's see I'm, oh I'm in the wrong chapter that's why I can't find my verse alright Mark chapter 14 verse 53 and they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priest the elders and the scribes so this uh, this Group and we've talked about it before, but uh, when when Mark names all this uh, different uh, groups of religious leaders, he's basically talking about the Sanhedrin. There is uh, uh, many members of the Sanhedrin. All members of the Sanhedrin were not there at this time, because I I'm uh, very sure that if uh, uh, maybe Nicodemus or if uh, Joseph of Arimathea, if they had been at uh, this gathering, they would have voiced a, uh, an objection. But, uh, uh, but this, this is the Supreme Court of Israel. This is, this is the guys that wield all the political, well, not political, but religious and social power among the Jewish people. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. <coughs> now the chief priest and all the council sought testimony. They were seeking testimony. This is uh, in. Uh, uh, this is not a uh, uh, just a past tense word. This is. Uh, a, a, a word that indicates that they were continually seeking testimony. They had sought ways to uh, entrap him before, and we've read about that and talked about that. <coughs> but they were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, 
we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? <coughs> what is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of, of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Now, this, uh, we have uh, come to this point now where uh, Jesus is uh, facing the trial uh, of the religious leaders. It's been a long day uh, for Jesus. You know, we've been, uh, it's been a pretty long day for us with this passage of Scripture. We've been in chapter 14 for a long time, haven't we? But it was a really long day for Jesus, a very eventful day for Jesus and his disciples. They uh, celebrated, they prepared for the Passover first, then they celebrated the Passover. And uh, at the Passover, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and uh, he instituted the Lord's Supper. He confronted Judas then there was the time that he spent uh, out in Gethsemane and the agony that he experienced there. And then he was betrayed by Judas. And now he has been arrested and brought to trial. And this trial is actually the second trial. Mark just goes straight to this, but uh, let me read, and you can turn with me if you would, to John chapter 18, the gospel of John chapter 18, and uh, we'll read verses 12 through 24. Verse 12, then the detachment of troops and the captain of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. <clears throat> now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. And that disciple was probably John. 
Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you're not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who had made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Do you answer the high priest like that? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so uh, we see that uh, as far as the Jewish uh, people were concerned, the Jewish uh, leaders, the trial of Jesus was in three phases. The first phase was when he went before Annas. Now, Annas, uh, we just learned, was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And so he had uh, considerable influence with Caiaphas, wouldn't you imagine? But not only that, there were, uh, I think, maybe the next four, uh, at least, of the high priests were his sons. And so this was a uh, guy who had lots of authority. He was a mover and shaker and somebody who no doubt pulled some strings in the background. And so he was a, uh, <clears throat> he, he was, uh, a man of great influence. And uh, so they uh, just naturally brought Jesus to Annas first, and then Annas sent him bound over to uh, Caiaphas. And so that was his preliminary trial. But then there is a third trial in Matthew chapter chapter 27, verse 1. And that it just uh, uh, pictures it a little more clearly or, or describes it a little more clearly. It says, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So here is that phase. So what we're looking at now is the second phase of that trial. And this is an illegal trial from start to finish. Do you hear what I'm saying? This is this trial, we've already seen that the Religious leaders among the Jews were not above pretending to be religious while dishonoring God, while disobeying the law, while forcing others 
to obey every jot and tittle of the law and even things that uh, they had added to the law, they forced others to obey, but they themselves would uh, find a way out of it. They were trying to have Jesus killed. They were so hypocritical that they did not want to do it on the uh, feast day. They didn't want him hanging on the cross on the feast day. They didn't want that. They didn't want to be defiled so that they could not uh, uh, observe the feast. But they were willing to lie. Mm -hmm. They were willing to, uh, uh, to make, uh, make illegal charges against Jesus or uh, suborn perjury against Jesus in order to kill him. They wanted him dead. They did not want him punished. They did not want him jailed. They wanted him dead. And so they were seeking a way to get that done. The problem was they had no authority under Rome to pass a judgment of death. They could not execute anyone. And so that was a, a, a problem to them. And so they had to come up with some way to get Jesus in trouble with Rome and uh, to be able to turn him over to Rome and get Rome <clears throat> to do that dirty work. And so uh, this is an illegal trial. Now I looked up uh, uh, this, this uh, website and I was, what I was looking for was the rules, the Jewish rules for a capital trial. <clears throat> and I found this <clears throat> on BibleResearch.org. <clears throat> there are 12 reasons why, according to ancient Jewish law and tradition, that the trial of Jesus was illegal. The first one is, there was no legal basis for Jesus' arrest. No one had presented formal charges of any crime. No one, like, uh, uh, no one had gone to them and accused Jesus of committing any crime. And they just were trying to arrest him, and they made up the crime as they went along. And Instead of having witnesses that said, we saw him do this, you need to go arrest him. They went and arrested him and then sought witnesses. So you see how backwards that was. <clears throat> and uh, the second one said Jesus was subject to a secret preliminary examination at night. Jewish law permitted only daylight proceedings. So uh, when you were going to, when there was a possibility of capital uh, punishment, then they were not to uh, have that trial at night. As a matter of fact, any trial they couldn't have at night because they wanted it in the daytime so everybody could have an opportunity to know what was going on. And uh, the reason they wanted to have it at night, of course, was they didn't want everybody to know what was going on. The Bible already told us that they feared the people, right? And number three, the indictment against Jesus was illegal because the judges themselves brought up the charges without any prior testimony by witnesses. I've already 
uh, uh, touched on that. <clears throat> and number four, the court illegally proceeded to hold its trial of Jesus before sunrise so that no one would be able to testify on his behalf. Number five, even though Jew, Jewish law did not permit the trial of a capital offense to begin on a Friday or on the day before an annual festival day, Jesus was arrested and tried the day before the Sabbath. That, was all, that also happened to be the first day of the fe feast of unleavened bread. So there was the uh, law that a, a capital case could not be brought on the day before a Sabbath or a holy day. And what they were doing was on a holy day, it was a case that was brought on a holy day, and the next day was a Sabbath day. So uh, Jesus' trial, number six, was concluded in one day. But the law in the Mishnah says, if a sentence of death is to be pronounced, a criminal charge cannot be concluded before the following day. And so they had to give an extra day buffer before the, uh, the, the condemnation of a person so that if anyone wanted to stand up in his defense, they would have that opportunity. Two false witnesses charged Jesus with saying he would destroy the temple made with hands Yet he was condemned by the court on the charge of blasphemy. So they, they got witnesses to say one thing, and, uh, and then when they brought him to the Romans, they, uh, uh, they accused him of, uh, of uh, being a, a political uh, rival. And so I won't go on with all these, but... Uh, uh, but there's just several things. The sentence was pronounced in a place forbidden by law. The trial took place at the high priest's house. And according to the law, a death sentence could be pronounced only in the court's appointed location. And so all these things, just so many illegal things that they were doing that uh, should not have been done. This whole trial was illegal. <clears throat> not only... Uh, was it illegal, but it was satanic. It was pre-arranged. It was uh, set up ahead of time. They were going to do what they were going to do no matter what happened in this trial. And so let's uh, just uh, look at the trial. Uh, I don't know if I'll use all my time tonight or not, but uh, let's just look at this trial. And I've got six points here. The first one is the prisoner. Let's look at the prisoner. The prisoner uh, that is brought up on charges here, that's brought to trial. He's not brought up on charges. He's just brought to trial. Is Jesus. Jesus, the Messiah. This is the one that they had been looking for for centuries for millennia, they had been looking for the Messiah that had been promised. And this is the one that they'd been looking for. This is Jesus. He gave every indication 
that he was the one by fulfilling messianic prophecies and by his own works and by his own testimony, <coughs> by the testimony of the scriptures, it was beyond a doubt that this was the man that they were looking for, and yet they rejected him. They saw all the evidence, and some of them, maybe many of them, were not fooled. They were not uh, saying, no, we don't believe that's him. They were saying, even if it is him, we don't want him. We will not have this man to reign over us. They treated him as a dangerous man. Here is the meek and gentle Jesus who did nothing but love them. Nothing but seek their good. Nothing but offer himself as a... Uh, as a lover of the people, a lover of Israel, the nation, he did nothing but offer his love and his, uh, his power to them. And yet they rejected him and treated him as if he were a criminal. They went out and arrested him and bound him. They sent men with weapons, with clubs and swords to capture him. They bound him and they brought him as a criminal. They wanted to make it look good. They wanted to give him the perp walk. They wanted him to walk handcuffed with his hands tied down the street and they wanted everybody to see that the religious leaders of Israel, every one of them, were with them. They were in agreement. They had captured this dangerous man. Have you ever... We've seen that, really, haven't we? We've seen things like that, how that uh, our political system likes to... Uh, do things like that. It's not been long ago. I don't remember names, but uh, an, an old guy that was uh, some sort of uh, uh, advisor to the president who shall go unnamed. He was an advisor to the president that everybody hates. And he's an old guy. And they sent SWAT teams to break into his house and go to his bedroom and drag this old man out of the house and perp walk him out to the vehicles and take him to, to jail. You know what they're trying? They're sending a message. And that's exactly what these folks were doing with Jesus. They were sending a message. He has to be treated uh, carefully because there's no telling what he might do to us. And he was a powerful man. He could have been a dangerous man, could he not? Yes. He could have stopped it at any point. But you see, what we're seeing here is Jesus, the perfect model of meekness. Mm -hmm. The perfect model of meekness. This is a model, an example of meekness for us. Do you know the definition of meekness? It's a simple definition. Probably all of us have heard it many times. Meekness is strength under control. Power 
under control. Does that not perfectly identify our Savior standing bound before these men? Meekness. Humility. This is our Savior who has been brought to judgment before evil men. And not only do we see the prisoner here, but we see his follower, Peter. Peter comes along, and we talked about him this morning. But Peter is, uh, uh, there's a lot of examples here uh, that we can point out about Peter. But this morning, I started talking about the fact that there's a contrast going on here. Now, Jesus is in this second floor room. And Peter is down in the courtyard below, and he is with all the uh, slaves and the guards and, and everything down there, and, and he's around the fire with those who were uh, literally the enemies of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> and there's a beautiful contrast here, and I believe that Mark actually wants us to see the difference between what's going on with Jesus and what's going on with Peter. And I just touched, touched on a couple of things uh, uh, this morning, but, but just think about this. Here is Jesus bound while Peter is loose. Jesus has been brought before leaders, I mean powerful men, and, G and Peter is cowering before a slave girl. Jesus is facing death. He's facing people that he knows are bent on his death. They're determined that they're going to kill him. All Peter has to be concerned about is embarrassment. Jesus is enduring false accusations while Peter is being confronted by the truth. <laughs> and he denies the truth. Jesus is being abused. Remember how that, that, uh, that guy that's standing by after he spoke to Annas and he came and smote Jesus, slapped him in the face. Jesus is being abused while Peter is untouched. Jesus told the truth while Peter lied. But here's the big thing. Here's the big thing, folks. This is, this is glory right here. While Jesus was upstairs and Peter was downstairs, Peter was being unfaithful to Jesus but Jesus was upstairs being faithful to Peter. And get this. Here's another preposition. Get it? He was being faithful to Peter and he's being faithful for Peter. You know why Peter's actions didn't sink him? <laughs> you know why that didn't destroy him completely? Because Jesus is living out righteousness for his people. And Jesus was living out that faithfulness that Peter could not live out. Isn't that good stuff? Amen. Hallelujah. Don't you love the, the active obedience of Jesus? 
What a wonderful doctrine. Somebody said, well, what about that guy that hung by, the, by Jesus on the cross and, he, and uh, Jesus, he, he repented and Jesus told him, today you'll be with me in paradise. What about his baptism? Jesus took care of it. <laughs> Jesus took care of it. Yeah, when Jesus walked out into that water, into the Jordan River, and Jordan said, well, I have need to be baptized of you. He said, suffer to be so now, John. It doth behoove us to fulfill all righteousness. That's why I'm being baptized. I don't need to be baptized. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for others. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. I get... That's good stuff, isn't it? While Peter was being unfaithful to him, Jesus was being faithful to Peter and being faithful for Peter and for me because I've done worse than Peter. I'm not going to ask you, but I bet you have to. Well, then, not only is there the prisoner that we see here and the follower of Jesus, but we also see, let me see if I got everything. I've got stuff jotted down everywhere. Number three, we see the false witnesses. Look at, uh, look at these verses, verse number 55 and following. Now, the chief priests and all the council were seeking can I just say it like that? They were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Because many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies didn't agree. Now, <clears throat> you know that uh, according to Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 6, chapter 19 and verse 15, that uh, nobody could be convicted of any crime without the testimony of two or three witnesses. And these two or three witnesses, the reason it had to be more than one, there had to be at least two witnesses, is that they had to have seen the same thing. Right? They had to bear witness to the same thing. And so just... Having somebody come up and say, uh, he did this, or he did that, and not having anyone to corroborate that testimony, the trial would have been dismissed, and the uh, uh, accused would not be charged with anything. That they were seeking people that could come up with testimony against Jesus, and they found plenty of people. They just couldn't find anybody that, any two people that agreed. And then <clears throat> verse 57 said, Some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, <laughs> We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I'll build another made without hands. Now, that is a perversion of what he said. They're referring to something he did say in John chapter 2. Jesus actually said this after he had, uh, this is early in his ministry, as he 
came into Jerusalem early in his ministry, he went to the temple and he did the same thing that we read about in, was it chapter 11 or 12? or Yeah, chapter 11. He went into Jerusalem and went into the temple and he saw that they were uh, uh, selling animals and changing money and he just, <coughs> he cleaned the place up. Pastor Art talked about it this morning. <clears throat> in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse number 13, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables and said to those that sold, who sold doves, take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then the disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of your house hath eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And John gives us an editorial comment on that. He says, <clears throat> but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had said. So Jesus was speaking of his body when they killed him that in three days he would raise it up again. And these false witnesses took that and they uh, twisted it and added and took away and they, uh, they made a true statement to be a false statement. They needed these witnesses. They needed them badly because they didn't have the authority to execute anybody and they uh, they had to have something to give to the Romans and so they were uh, getting more and more desperate and uh, but this is a common work of the devil isn't it this is kind of the way the bad guys like to work that's, uh, they like to misquote or manipulate. They, need, they like to manipulate facts by choosing words deceptively. You can, you can say the truth. Did you know you could do that? You can say the truth in a way that people hear a lie. You can do it. And there are people that are really good at that. They are uh, uh, many political commentators, news commentators are, are tremendous at this. Let me give you a, just a small example. When my party is in control of, say, the House of Representatives, I say that it's led by my party. If the other party is in control, I say it's run by them. 
You get it? This is the way, this is the way you use truth to manipulate what people hear and what people understand. But here's the thing with these folks. They already had their minds made up. They knew what the evidence was going to show, and they were going to state the evidence in a way that made it seem like it showed that. And, and here's the thing. When you're entering into an investigation with your mind already made up, you're going to find what you're looking for. You will. So, the false witnesses. Then number four, the interrogator. Someone said that uh, Caiaphas' name actually means interrogator. I don't know if that's true or not. I, uh, I read or I heard that. <clears throat> but he's, you know, I said they're getting desperate. Well, they he's desperate now. They're not going to let Jesus go. There's no way that's going to happen. And so if you'll <clears throat> look with me at verse number 60. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus. You know, you stand up when you're, you're ready to fight. You're, you're going to be, you're going to use your bearing to intimidate. And so he stood up and he said, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But don't you love how Jesus responded by not responding? Mm -hmm. Well, we know that uh, Isaiah chapter 53 Seven says that it's like a, a sheep before her, uh, before her shearers. Open not his mouth, or dumb like a sheep, or mute. He kept silent. Proverbs chapter ten and verse number nineteen. I, I thought I could quote it, but I I can't. But Proverbs ten nineteen says. In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. So who's the wise one here? Jesus is being wise. He's not opening his mouth in, this, in defense of himself. But then, in his desperation, the chief priest says... And uh, follow along in verse 61. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the blessed? Now, son of the blessed is a name for Jehovah, but being a, uh, a quote-unquote uh, faithful Jew, devout Jew, they didn't use that name. And they were very careful about how they used it. And so the chief priest says, Caiaphas says, Are you the son of the blessed? And so here's the only person telling the truth. And we're getting down to the heart of the matter here. Jesus, if he answers this thing honestly... He's going to die. <clears throat> he knows that. 
And he has been saving it, saving it up for this time. And we come to the fifth point. I am not, I am going to run out of time. The truth, the truthful one. Jesus is the only one here that's truthful. Verse 62. There is a great declaration made. Listen to what he says. Let me read the question again. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. <laughs> Don't you love that? I mean, that if he'd have just said that and not said any more, they couldn't have got any matter. I am. Ego Emmy. That is the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am. I am, said Jesus. And if that's not enough, I've got a little bit more for you. And you will see the Son of Man. What, what name did he refer to himself with most of the time in the gospel? Son of Man. The Son of Man, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. <laughs> well, you know what he's doing, don't you? He's quoting a verse of Scripture. He's quoting from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And you know what? We've already talked about that before, haven't we? He's talking about uh, uh, when... The uh, Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. I'm going to get thumbtacks for my Bible. He's, here's what Daniel says. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. This, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Jesus is saying, listen, I am the son of man and you're going to see, I'm going up there. I'm going to receive a kingdom. And this is the kingdom. It's my kingdom. It's the kingdom of God on earth. It's not going to be based in physical Jerusalem. It's going, and the rule is not going to be from earthly Jerusalem. The rule of this kingdom is going to be from my throne in the heart of every believer. Kingdom. I'm getting it. And you're going to see it. It's going to happen. Don't you like, I just love this story. They knew that prophecy. It was the very thing, as I've already said, they've been waiting for this. But listen, what mercy. What mercy. Here's the people that are determined to kill Jesus. And he says, let me give it to you one more time. You need to hear this one more time. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Oh, what a Savior. What a wonderful Savior. 
let me just give you this one more time. You're going to see the Son of Man. I'm the one you've been looking for. You're going to see it. It's going to happen. And then there's the reaction. Number six. The reaction of the council. The high priest tore his clothes. It's, you know, that's a, a really dramatic thing. You know, it's showing the great distress, anguish. Uh, and sometimes it would show humility. But this is not showing humility. Oh, can you believe he would say such a thing? The high priest tore his clothes. And he said, what further need do we have of witness? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And then they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him. And to blindfold him. And to beat him. And to say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. He didn't have to take that. He didn't have to uh, let them do that. But again, he's living out active obedience for us. How many of us would be persecuted and rise up in our own defense. But aren't you glad that he included in that robe of righteousness he gave us, in that, in that account that was imputed to us, that righteous account was included in that was Submission and willingness to be beaten and to be persecuted for the cause of righteousness. But it wasn't just for the cause of righteousness. It was for us, for his people. There's a lot more can be said. And uh, the more I study this and the more I read it and preach on it, the more I see that needs to be said. Mm -hmm. But again, we just have to say, what a Savior. Mm -hmm. Amen. Our Lord, we love you. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus, that you loved your people so much that you would endure this mm -hmm. for us. And not only in our place did you endure it, but you, you endured it as us. We bless your name. What more can we say than thank you? May your name be praised through all eternity.